0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Wednesday, March 4th, 2020. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm the senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and I am joined by Slash Film Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And writer Chris Evangelista.
1: Hello, folks.
0: All right, guys, let's just jump right into it. Uh, Chris, Matt Reeves, the director of The Batman, has a, a special surprise for us, and he shared some images of the Batmobile. What what's going on here?
1: Yeah. So um, Matt Reeves, he's shooting the Batman right now. I believe he's shooting it in Scotland, I think. And uh, about a week or two weeks ago, they were shooting uh, out in the public and they did a very poor job doing crowd control. And as a result, there were all these set leak photos of uh, Robert Pattinson's stunt double as Batman riding uh, you know a, a bat motorcycle and uh, it's safe to assume Matt Reeves in the studio didn't want like this to be the first like full look at Batman on his bike or whatever. So uh, you know in the spirit of probably heading off future problems like this Matt Reeves just posted uh, three pics of Rar Pattinson in, in, in the bat suit with the new Batmobile and it's safe to assume that that means they're going to start shooting the Batmobile driving around town very soon and uh, set leaks are going to start coming out. And this way they they sort of head that off with official better looking photos. So what do you think about these, Chris? I like it. I like how, uh, I guess, practical it looks like I, I was fine with, you know, the Batmobile in, in the Nolan trilogy and even the, you know, the, the, the Ben Affleck era, but, those those batmobiles really looked like you know tanks they were they were designed to be these really tactical warfare machines and i like that this is just a car like it's clearly it looks like batman just bought like a muscle car and put some cool lights on it and i kind of i kind of like how simple that is i like how like down to earth that is as opposed to batman driving around in a, a big tank so i i dig it yeah uh Brad what do you think
2: um, I've never liked the Batmobile as a car. I wish he would drive around in an RV instead. It would be <laughs> way, way more efficient, given place to live. Uh, no, it's, um, it's definitely different. It kind of has this, like, heavy metal hot rod style to it, which, uh, like Chris said, is, is a lot different, you know, um, even from the, the vehicles from the earlier Batman movies, which were kind of more meant to be sleek and had, like, a real comic book style to them, this feels like it has a little bit more practicality. Um, so, yeah, it's, this, this. Gives us a, a much different vibe for Batman, I think, than we've seen before, and it makes me hopeful that, uh, you know, the, the the somewhat I don't know odd glimpses at that first suit will maybe it's just a, an early suit, or maybe you know it's just something that needs to be seen in the proper light, yeah, uh, in, in, within the movie to actually get a better uh you know feel for. Mm-hmm. I've seen
0: some photos going around on Twitter of people posting um like comic panels from a comic that I believe is called Batman 1972 and it looks a lot like what Chris said like Batman in that comic evidently just gets like a muscle car and, and sort of soups it up a little bit. Um I also really love the look of this design. I think it I said in our Slack channel it reminds me of something that would be on like a synthwave album cover. It, it's very like uh sleek and I love the the way that um the ambient lighting and everything looks in these photos. I have no idea how, if that will actually translate to like the look of the movie or not. Um, but yeah, I'm,
2: I'm, it almost has like a Night Rider kind of feel to it or something like that. But um, I guess it's, all, we, it's, we talked about this in Slack too. It's um, it looks like that they Photoshopped Batman into those photos rather than actually having Robert Pattinson within the um, those images because it seems like they just took photos of the Batmobile and then they took concept art images of Batman for this movie and put him in there.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Before we move on to the, our next topic, what do you think about um, uh, about the look of, I guess, Batman within these photos? You know, whether or not it actually is concept art or uh, some sort of um, <laughs> like a separate photo that's been spliced in or something like that. What do you think about the look? Because, you know, as Chris mentioned, we we saw like sort of an armored up looking Batman on that bike in those set videos last week or whenever it was, but this appears to be a different look at the suit of the character than we've seen before, even in those videos. So, um, Brad, let's start with you. What do you think about this?
2: Um, I think that this looks at least better because of like the lighting that we're seeing it in and how it fits with the vibe of the, the images of the Batmobile. than you know, we saw in those set photos. I'm you know, I don't know if this is like an evolution of of that suit, or, or you know, like I said, maybe it's just because it's how they are presenting it to us that it looks better. Um, but it's, yeah, it, it it's pleasing to the eyes. What do you think, Chris? Uh,
1: yeah, I would really love like a better <laughs> close up. Uh, like at this point, I don't even know what they're waiting for at this point because we've seen those. I think everyone has seen the set pics. We've seen this, these photos. And uh, Matt Reeves released that camera test where it's a very dark red look. And at this point it's like, just release. Why not just release a very clear image of Robert Pattinson in the suit at this point, rather than like dancing around it. I don't really know why they're, Playing it coy because they're not really. It's like it's out there. Just give us a, a good close up of it at this point.
0: <laughs> you don't like pinch zooming, Chris. Come on. No,
1: <laughs> I'm too. <huh>? <laughs> <laughs> All
0: right. Uh, so let's move on to our next topic, which is the uh, James Bond film No Time to Die, the 25th movie in the Bond franchise, has been delayed seven months. Um, due to the coronavirus. So I'm not going to get into, like, all the details of the coronavirus and, and, you know, how that started. You can look up, you know, your own news sources to to figure all that stuff out. Uh, But this, you know, outbreak of this virus has been affecting Hollywood in some pretty significant ways, and I, I think no more significant, at least thus far, than this huge delay of this release. So this movie was supposed to premiere in London later in march i think on march 31st and then have um sort of a a global rollout release in very early april and uh mgm and universal who is i think mgm and united artists releasing are distributing it uh, domestically and universal is is handling most of the uh, international uh, distribution they have decided to bump this movie all the way back to november 12th 2020 in the uk and november 25th 2020 uh, everywhere else. So that is um, a, a huge delay and uh, kind of a bummer for people who are looking forward to this Bond movie. But, you know, this kind of thing, I guess the writing has been on the wall for this for a little while. Um, there have been some uh, publicity tours from the movie in China and South Korea uh, South Korea and Japan that were uh, canceled in recent weeks. Um, earlier this week, the world's biggest James Bond fan blog sent an open letter to These companies asking them to delay the release of the film, Um, basically they were saying, like, because of how uh, the theaters, uh, many theaters across the world have been shut down because of this uh, virus, the box office totals of uh, No Time to Die would be significantly impacted if they were to move ahead with, you know, releasing this movie uh, in their their uh, earlier iteration, so they were hoping that the studio would would sort of um, put safety over uh, everything else and and sort of uh, push this off a little bit. So um I, I guess that that uh, argument spoke to them. Um, Brad, what do you make of this? Are you uh, disappointed that we're gonna have to wait this long to see the next Bond film?
2: Yeah, I mean, it was something to look forward to in April. Uh, it was you know an early kickoff for blockbuster season. And that's a long delay. It's it's understandable as to why it's happening. It's such a, you know, a big global release. You want to make sure you can get as many people to see it as possible, because this is the kind of thing that can end up hurting the box office. And it also makes it difficult for the, the, the cast uh, and, you know, the, the um, director to tour the globe, which they commonly do for James Bond movies, because it's such an international sensation. Um, but, you know, I just... It's just a crazy thing that's happening right now with a lot of, uh, you know, delays and events getting uh, canceled and shuffled around. So I I feel like it's only going to get worse before it gets better, unfortunately, and we'll we'll see how, you know, many more things get delayed and pushed back. Yeah, Um, we often hear that big blockbusters like this are being
0: worked on up until, you know, the very last minute, sometimes like even you know the day or the week before the premiere. So Chris, I'm wondering do you think, we ha- we haven't heard anything official about this, but do you think that um, this delay might give Carrie Joji Fukunaga, the director of this film the opportunity to sort of tinker with the movie a little bit and maybe um, perfect it or add anything to it or anything like that? Um, do you think that that's a possibility?
1: You know, I was wondering that and like if it were my movie I'd be like, yeah, give me all this time so I can keep going and You know, there's that news that the movie is like almost three hours long. Maybe he can make it shorter. He's got plenty of time to cut it down to a more reasonable time. Or make it even longer. I would probably do that. I would (laughs) I would go with the baller move and make it like four hours and thirty minutes long and be like, look, you've waited for this. I'm gonna make it as long as I possibly can.
0: Yeah. Um, I'll also put a link in the show notes to this our other article that I wrote about um, the, the Baby Yoda toys that might be delayed because of this, because I guess Hasbro's supply chain has been impacted because a lot of the plastics and stuff for these toys come from China, which is where the coronavirus sort of uh, originated and is, is hitting the hardest currently. Um, Disney has also delayed the Uh, international release date of Mulan in some markets, although that movie will open uh, domestically here in the U.S. um, on the same, uh, you know, on on the current schedule. So um, we won't really feel any impact there, but uh, Disney certainly will. And Mulan is an interesting example because that's a live action remake of this 90s uh, Disney animated classic, but that movie was not really um, beloved in China because of the sort of liberties that it took and like the Disney animation flourishes and all that, that didn't really... Like the, the whole thing about Mushu, I think Chinese audiences did not really uh, take particularly kindly to the way that a uh, dragon was portrayed in um, a movie like that. So, this live action version has been made you know, with much more of an eye toward authenticity and, and, like, Disney was hoping to court the Chinese box office in a major way, and now that this movie... They haven't said which um, markets are being impacted here or when Mulan is actually going to be released in those markets, but um, China is certainly... I think there's something like 70,000 theaters in China that have been shut down already, and uh, China, China's um, theatrical industry might... Suffer like a two billion dollar loss because of the coronavirus. So, um, yeah, I suspect that this is not the last time that we're going to be talking about this. And and uh, major you know Hollywood blockbusters. Um, I I'm guessing there are going to be more to come uh, as Brad alluded to. So, uh, yeah, if you want to find out more about that, you can read the link in the show notes. Uh, in the meantime, let's move over to the world of Star Wars. And all of our favorite films, Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. So, Brad, the novelization of this movie is coming out, and evidently it reveals something that wasn't
2: really clear in the movie itself. Is that right? Indeed. Uh, We've seen a couple things come out of the novelization so far. Uh, The reason stuff has slowly started to leak out of this, even though the book doesn't release until March 17th, is because Lucasfilm Publishing made advanced copies available for sale at C2E2, which is basically Chicago's Comic-Con. And we've already talked about how it has confirmed that Emperor Palpatine was essentially a clone, also gave us um, the last words that Kylo Ren said to Rey, and now we have a little bit more information on Emperor Palpatine. Uh, Continues to be information that we wish was actually in the movie, Uh, and it is essentially what happened uh, to Emperor Palpatine that allowed him to survive after being thrown into that Death Star Uh, exhaust shaft by Darth Vader at the end of Return of the Jedi. And I won't read the whole excerpt, but basically what it boils down to is that uh, Palpatine had basically been preparing this um, place in his consciousness where he could tuck away his, his soul, you know, using Sith force abilities. And so as he's falling, his body is already dead before he even hits, you know, wherever the shaft ends Uh, and he has, tucked it away so that he can bring his consciousness or his Sith spirit what have you back out and put it into a a new body which ties into the fact that we learned that Palpatine was indeed a clone albeit a clone that had a weak body that could not support all the power that was uh, contained within him Brad do you buy this like i mean I, I guess it's it's
0: it's a weird question to ask but like does this feel like um uh, retroactively, like retconning something because it wasn't clear in the movie, or do you think this is something that they had
2: intended the whole time? I imagine that this is something that was always the explanation for Emperor Palpatine's return. Uh, very, very often these novelizations contain extra information that isn't conveyed clearly in the movies. Oftentimes it's not as important as this, um, but Rise of Skywalker clearly was juggling a lot of different balls and really had to figure out how to cram a lot of information into a short time span. And the Return of Palpatine had already been glossed over a lot by merely relegating it to the opening crawl and a single line from Poe and saying, well, the Emperor is back, and then Dominic Monahan's like, oh, yes, yeah, Sith stuff, right? Um, so... <laughs> So this, you know, give us a little bit more explanation. And yeah, you know, it's uh, what's weird is that, you know, it, it's not much different from how the Emperor came back in the Star Wars Expanded Universe stories. Uh, in the Star Wars Dark Empire graphic novel, this is almost exactly what Palpatine did and how he survived and came back uh, as a clone as well. So it's it's not anything new. It's just frustrating that these kinds of details just weren't put into the movie to help explain and give us a little background as to, you know, maybe this was something that J.J. Abrams planned, you know, because we also heard uh, not too long ago that J.J. wanted to bring the Emperor back in The Force Awakens and came up with this explanation on how to do it, but for some reason they decided to abandon that idea. Um, But this just goes to show, you know, that this was a movie that just has a lot going on in it, and a lot more explanation was required, and I I wish we would have gotten maybe a two-part finale that would have allowed them more space to tell A story that was a little bit more more coherent Mm -hmm.
0: uh chris i know you're on record as sort of hating the decision to bring palpatine back uh you know at all but if if they were so hell-bent on doing this would you have actually preferred um them to bring that character back in a totally different body with like a whole different look and then just explain in the movie you know this is why the emperor looks this way because um, to me, it seems weird that he would throw his consciousness into a body that looks so much like, you know, a, a clone version that can also still be old. Like, wouldn't you want to throw your body into, I don't know, a younger, better, better version of yourself? I don't I don't know. Maybe I'm just right yeah, here. I, I,
1: like, yeah, I don't know why he picked the body that, like, was attached to, uh, like, a an arcade game crane and he has like <laughs> no fingers. Like if you can just like put his consciousness in a body, why not use a better body or like? Well, not not to push my
2: glasses up here, guys. Oh, but please they... do. I'm so excited <laughs> to
0: be corrected on this.
2: <laughs> no, the, the explanation is that he like, there's no clone body essentially that can contain how, like the, the Sith power that he has. And so no matter what they do, his body is always degrading. And so that's why he's desperate to have Ray, kill him so that his power can be transferred to her oh well then i take
1: it i take it all all back it's a good movie after all
0: (laughs) uh well i'm sure the people who actually love the movie are happy that you uh you brought that to our attention brad i i mean i i'm like genuinely interested in this stuff because i find it so weird and and um you know, kind of off putting that they didn't include it in the movie, but it, if there's an answer for it somewhere, I
2: guess that's better than there not being an answer for it anywhere. So, uh, I just, honestly, like the thing is, I- I'm a Star Wars fan, but I'm just I'm getting sick of hearing this kind of stuff, and it's just like, just let it go. Like, let's just move on and just forget. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that might be the best path
0: forward. Um, I guess speaking of J.J. Abrams, uh, his Bad Robot production company has uh, a new project coming up. Um, Chris, tell us a little bit about that.
1: Uh, There's really not much to tell. It's called The Pinkerton, and it's being written by Daniel Casey, who uh, worked on 10 Cloverfield Lane, and he also wrote the script for kin and he also co-wrote the upcoming fast nine or f9 what is it is it officially f9 I, I is that think it's title? officially
0: f9 as dumb right. as that is yes
1: so yeah nine he, he wrote f9 and he has also written the spec script for the pinkerton which is just being described as a uh supernatural revenge story with a western setting which sounds pretty cool but that's really all we really know about i mean the pinkerton agency was Uh, a private detective agency that was created back in the 1800s. So I'm guessing that's involved in the story somehow. It was also the name of Weezer's best album. So maybe Weezer shows up in the movie. I don't know. (laughs) So that's really all we know. I
0: I just remembered that, uh, overlord existed. I never saw that movie, but that's another period piece that's produced by bad robot and maybe, and has like, I think supernatural, uh, or, or sort of like sci-fi, um, uh, genre elements to it so maybe they're building some sort of a prequel universe for the because <laughs> i think there were t- there was talks for a while that um that overlord might be a, a cloverfield movie um so i wonder if-, if bad robot is interested in like spinning off like creating an overlord universe that's separate from the cloverfield universe where P- the pinkerton is like a uh, a prequel to that i mean i'm, I'm just completely spitballing here but Um, Yeah, that might be interesting. Uh, One other, I guess, upcoming project that I wanted to mention, and and this is like the Pinkerton, something that we don't really have very much information about. Uh, Chad Stahelski, the director of the John Wick movies, uh, is apparently uh, eyeing a new movie that is going to be written by Andre Nemec and Josh Applebaum, who did um, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles live action movie, or like the CG ones, the recent ones from like 2014 and onward, uh, and this project is uh, described as a high-concept car movie, um, what is the official, uh, a high-concept spin capturing the spirit of the great car movies with a unique central relationship at, at its center. So this movie doesn't even have a title yet, um, but Andrew Form and Brad Fuller, who are the producers of uh, A Quiet Place and A Quiet Place 2. They used to run uh, Platinum Dunes with Michael Bay back in the day, the production company was responsible for a lot of the horror remakes and stuff that that um, you may remember from the early 2000s. Uh, they have sort of splintered off and, and created their own production company, so they're going to be responsible for producing this. Um, Chad Stahelski's 8711, which is the uh, production company that... Uh, He and I think David Leach co founded that, that does like um, action choreography for movies like Birds of Prey and, um, you know, a ton of uh, Atomic Blonde and all the John Wick films uh, is going to be involved. So Stahelski is looking to direct this movie, but nothing has been set in stone yet. But I don't know. I just wanted to put this on people's uh, radars because I think uh, high, you know, high concept car movies, that sounds kind of interesting to me, especially something that is being designed to capture the spirit of films like you know baby driver and bullet and ronin and the french connection and all these classic you know italian job all these classic movies that uh, involve cars so anyway we'll uh up, update you with more on that as we get more uh, information about it but our last story of the day involves uh mcmillions the hbo show but it's not actually about that it's about the the story on which that sort of inspired that show um chris what's the latest there
1: right so the McMillion story had happened uh Well, the the true story happened between 1989 and 2001. And uh, just as it was starting to make headlines in 2001, the September 11th attacks happened and kind of pushed it completely off the headlines. And everyone sort of just forgot about it until uh, in 2018, the Daily Beast wrote this really good uh, expose on the story. And it boils down to uh, there is this ex-cop who worked for the company that provided the monopoly game pieces for the McDonald's monopoly game. And uh, he basically rigged it up so that he was stealing all the the biggest prizes. And he had this whole network of people working for him and he just, you know, defrauded McDonald's for millions and millions of dollars until he eventually got caught. And uh, so HBO turned this into uh, a docu-series, which is, now airing. I think the final episode airs next week and it's called McMillions. Uh but before that came about, um there was lots of talk about turning this into a feature film because you know if you read the story, your 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 immediate thought is wow, this would make a great movie. And uh the person who was set to make the feature was Ben Affleck. He was going to direct it and uh Matt Damon was actually going to star in it. And um, but we haven't really heard much about it. And Matt, uh, Ben Affleck's out there promoting the way back right now. And someone asked him during, you know, the, the press tour, are you still going to make your version of this story? Now that the documentary is out there and I'm not going to read his full quote because it's kind of lengthy, but he says, you know, there's a new draft for the script and the draft is really good, but it's really not clear where things stand at the moment. Um, this was originally, uh, a Fox title, but as we all know, Fox is now, um, Part of Disney, so there's like sort of like uh, we don't know what's going on with that, and you know, it, it really just boils down to he's waiting to see what would happen, but he's still interested in making the movie, he just doesn't know if <laughs> the studio is, so we'll have to wait and see.
0: So, his version of this movie is going to be titled Mix Scam, or at least that's the sort of working title for this thing. Um, Chris, do you actually think that Affleck is a good fit for uh, this property, having seen? Uh, McMillian's in documentary form play out and having read that daily beast story that inspired this whole thing do you think that um ben affleck is like uh particularly suited to bring this story to the big screen
1: i mean you know uh not to knock ben affleck i can think of you know a million other directors who are probably better but at the same time i i tend to like ben affleck's movies the ones he's directed um you know i don't think they're fantastic but they're they're pretty good movies. I liked The Town. I liked Argo. I liked. Um, I really liked uh, Gone Baby Gone, which I think is is probably his best directorial effort. So, I I think he'd be okay to do this. I don't really know. You know, he has an interesting sort of style that's sort of his own, while also being influenced by other people so but like you know if someone if like David Fincher came along and said I want to make this I would immediately be like yes give him this movie instead so <laughs> that that's kind of where I stand Brad have you been watching McMillions at all
2: no, I decided to wait until it was all done to, to watch it, so I will catch up once it's finished.
0: That's probably the right way to go, because I, I found myself uh, I, I'm caught up, but I found myself extremely frustrated with the, the structure of a lot of the episodes, which end on, like, cliffhangers where the drama is really juiced up for no other reason than just to be a cliffhanger because it's almost immediately resolved in the next episode, and, and sort of like all of the, the air is let out of the balloon that they've like uh, <laughs> filled for, for seemingly no reason, you know, in the, in the concluding moments of the previous episode. So uh, I think this would probably be much better for binging than it is for watching week to week. But um, yeah, I'm sure we'll talk about that maybe a little bit more on a water cooler episode if we do that this week. But uh, what do you think about um, Ben Affleck uh, taking this on as a, a directorial effort, Brad? I know that you, you're not really like super familiar with the story, but like just in terms of uh, Affleck's overall career arc, is this something that interests you for him? Uh,
2: you know, Affleck's a generally good director, and you know, this is—I guess—this would kind of be like a heist movie in a way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, you know. You know. And so he's—he's he's proven to be good at that, and I'm—I'm I'm very much interested in the path that Ben Affleck's career takes—takes takes now, because he's kind of on a bit of—I don't want to say a comeback. Cause it's not really like he went away for that long, but obviously he's—you know—he's been recovering some, from some—you know—personal troubles, and uh, i think we'll have like a little bit of a resurgence, and maybe you know. Doing a lot of different things to kind of get his career back on track, both as a filmmaker and an actor. So I think the material itself is, you know, interesting enough. And, you know, having a director like Ben Affleck only makes it more interesting. I'm curious to see
0: if um, I know know that he's not directing this movie, but I'm curious to see if The Last Duel has anything to do with uh, whether or not this project gets the green light. Because um, Ben Affleck is, uh, I think, co-starring in that movie with Matt Damon and um, Adam Driver and Jodie Comer from Killing Eve and Ridley Scott is directing it. It's supposed to come out this Christmas. It's like this... Um, historical, epic kind of thing, like a, a medieval set movie about knights and all sorts of weird stuff. It seems like uh, sort of a big swing for Fox. And I, I wonder if there, if that project and, and maybe its success and their relationship with Ben Affleck is going to be um, reflected in whether or not he can make that movie there or not. Because as far as I remember, Ben Affleck was really like a Warner Brothers guy for a long time. He was like one of those guys like... Clint Eastwood and Christopher Nolan who seemed to be able to sort of do whatever he wanted, um, under the Warner brothers banner. So I wonder if, uh, I mean, yeah, it's a weird thing to talk about because he's not, like I said, he's not directing The Last Duel, so it's not like it's going to be a, a complete one-to-one, like, oh, if this movie does well, then we're going to greenlight his next project kind of thing. He's just in it. But I wonder if that, if the relationships that he's forming at that studio now um, are going to have any sort of impact there. So we'll have to keep an eye on that. I think that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode of Slash Film Daily. Uh, before we go, let's tell people where they can find more of our work online. Uh, Chris, let's start with you.
1: Slashfilm.com, and I'm on Twitter at C Evangelista413.
2: And Brad? Slashfilm.com as well. Of course, Twitter at Ethan underscore Anderton, and listen to my podcast, Go Flix Yourself, available on iTunes and other places podcasts are given away for free. <laughs>
0: uh, you can find me at slashfilm.com as well. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Ben Pears, and you can find more about all of the stories that we mentioned on today's show at slashfilm.com and linked inside the show notes of this episode. Slash Film Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps, and send your feedback, questions, comments, and concerns to us at peter at slashfilm.com. Remember to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. And don't forget to rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends. Spread the word. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow.